0: Welcome to a Canadian investing in the U.S. a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of a Canadian investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Paul Bola. Uh, Paul, we're, I guess Paul has his own company, Real Estate to Freedom. Um, you know what, Paul? Let's uh, give me a little intro on yourself, and we'll uh, dive into how you got started.
1: Okay. Thanks, Glenn. First of all, thanks for having me. No problem. Um, um, you know, I've uh, lived in Canada for five years, so I'll go a little bit of my story, how that came out to be. But I've been born and raised in the U.S. and uh, moved to Canada in 2014, um, passed uh, past lifetime, graduated engineering, did the, did the right thing, as, a, as a, every Punjabi uh, immigrant uh, son would do, become an engineer and then get a good job. But uh, um, went from there, got my MBA and uh was really into heavily into stocks and i was looking into ways to uh grow my wealth and you know like i said i moved here five years ago (laughs) and what propelled me to that was a career opportunity here i met my lovely wife that was from here so we decided to make that move and you know start to work and you as you know living in the gta it's pretty expensive right and it's uh very hard to make it by when you look at just having a a good career and you know we sat together one time and just said you know we've got two good you know careers here a lot of stress very busy uh again cost of living in Toronto is very difficult and at the end of the month you're looking at you know we're 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 scraping by you know that that social compact that we were told that you know get a good you know job after having a good degree such forth wasn't working for us and we start looking at what other avenues can we do that, and it really came on to be to eventually go into real estate that um, I could see that we were um, we could make some money in. And but when I look at where our portfolio was five, we got married to now, it's grown almost ten times, which is amazing. And it comes down to that concept that if we were just saving money, saving equity, we would not gotten there, and we've gotten to. Through there, through real estate, and then obviously with real estate, you have the power of leverage, right? And you know, with talking about those careers, I mean, it's just like just today, Glenn, we were, you know, texting, went went to to coordinate for this, and what's in the middle of that? It's our, it's our daily job, and obviously, uh, that's really controlling your time in your day, and you know, that's why it's real estate to freedom. That's really the commodity that we're is to gain time. Um, as as we have a family, I want to have more quality time with mm-hmm. my kids and in my family and also looking at you know when you're looking at careers and this is a big part about real estate is fifty percent of your wealth destruction your earned income comes from taxes. When you look at income sales taxes, all the taxes that you can add to the fuel to get to work, it gets around fifty percent. Um and real estate, look at that from a percentage perspective it really reduces down, because you have a lot of legal manners way to reduce your taxes through tax deductions and tax credits. Part of a major reason why I wanted to move here from a financial side is that there was this large boom that I was seeing in Toronto, especially in Canada. Um, There's a boom market um, that's going on. So if you look at it compared to year 2000, I wanted to ride that boom. So how to quickly gain our asset profile. And one thing I saw about Toronto that's very unique um, I've said this before in other podcasts, it's it's literally like an island if you look at it. To the east, you have Lake Ontario, and to the west, and, and a little bit northwest and southwest, you have the Greenbelt. And so you have a large concentration of people that can't really move outside of that, and you have a large influx of immigration that comes in, and, and most of them tend to stay in the GTA area. So, okay, that's going to increase demand, so property prices are are going up. So that's still part of our portfolio strategy is buying in, in the GTA and like, and specifically like in downtown Toronto, I have a a condo that will be closing up uh, a pre-construction condo closing up the end of this year, early next year. And that's still part of our equation to really build uh, that asset profile. But what comes into play though as, as well, again, it's big about wealth strategy is how do we take that equity that's gaining in the GTA or Southern Ontario, and utilize it for today. So it's taking that equity from here and moving it right. So we've done that. Like just behind me, the wall here. It's actually it may be my house, but it's also my credit facility to refinance full mortgage. Um, and we're moving that equity into the U.S. And you know, when you got uh, price propositions that are about a third to a quarter of the prices here, and you have some great cash flow, it's it's a no-brainer. Um, you know, myself, I keep a KPI index on in all my properties, and it's very interesting when I look at one of my condos in Toronto that's around $400,000, and I get around you know $400 cash flow a month in Canadian dollars, and then I have a property in, in the Midwest that's getting around 50 to close to $400 less, than 100,000, it's quite interesting, and when you look at those cash on cash or whatever metrics that you wanna use, yep. it's interesting, right? why does it not make
0: sense to just leave equity in your house
1: example, the markets can change right Um, if you look at 2017 and you look in the GTA there was I would say a little bit insanity in the markets I I got some I I look at a neighbor over there they they sold their house for 1.2 million for a a 2,500 square foot home it's not 1.2 million today, maybe about a million. But if you look at it from that perspective, that 200000 went away. And it's you want to you strike the iron when it's hot. Yep. Um, you want to take that equity now <laughs> and move it. And there's another thing, too. When you use forms of debt capital like lines of credits or such forth like that, there's also a tax deduction for util- utilizing that as well. So even if you're using it's at 3.5% or 4% after a tax deduction, it's going to be a lot lower for you. So that's that's actually a very good thing as well.
0: How did this story go?
1: Uh, we bought some more properties into the U.S. Right, we move that equity there, use that as down payments for for properties down there, and then same thing, use the mortgage finance down there, and it's the power of leverage, right? You know, I can if I can buy a property and put a down payment of you know twenty thousand or thirty thousand U.S. dollars, and I'm garnering a three hundred fifty to four hundred dollar cash flow, that's a big win because it's again, it comes to our wealth strategy where I want some components our portfolio to grow up quickly. Like it's like buying stocks. You have some stocks you want to appreciate up just from a stock value, then you want some from dividends. And again, it comes to freedom. And part of your freedom is garnering cash flow, right? We've got to use those debt capitals today to produce positive cash flow. Because again, it's not gonna work if we try to save. We're not gonna keep up. And so part of our portfolio, we have an index where we're looking at income. So every quarterly we have a quarterly review at the house. What we do is we look at all our um, all our assets, what our percentage of debt we have, like our percentage of LTV, and we see some things that hey, we're at 50% LTV. Looking at it two weeks ago, and I realized that you know we got about a over $100,000 worth of equity that we have an opportunity to utilize to produce more income. So you got to, from my my advice to any of the listeners here is constantly review your portfolio as if you're the portfolio manager, right? That's for wealth strategy, are you really garnering that equity today? Because to answer that question uh, that you asked earlier, Glenn, if you're not using your equity, you're losing, there's an opportunity cost on future uh, cash flow. Right? Yep. So you got to seize the moment now.
0: So where are you looking to invest?
1: <laughs> uh, Midwest and the Southeast. Those okay. are two areas that we really like because there are great value propositions there. Um, and you really want to focus on states that are landlord friendly. And that's one thing that I always say to uh, investors, say, hey, we want to invest in the U.S., not to think that the U.S. is, excuse me, one overall homogenous area. They're divided into different states. There's employer-friendly states. There's employee-friendly states. Same thing for tenants. Tenant-friendly states and, uh, and for the te- friendly for the tenants. So we want to look at that. There's a few states that I, I like. Um, we have some investments in Missouri. I uh, have some investments in Indiana. Um, there's parts in the South that I'm starting to look at. They have some great propositions there. Uh, so there's a lot there. It comes down to where you want to do. And also, we don't want to also just throw, put all our eggs in one basket, not all in one city. We want to sort of divide it up. And I think there you have to look at those indications. You have to look at macroeconomics overall. Where is the money going at? Alabama's got some great things going on with Opportunity zones, especially with tax reforms that's going on there. So you have to really look at that. And you don't, also don't want to be in positions where, Let's say you're you're into a city and like a third of the uh, of the is relying on one company. You don't want that either. Really why I like Indianapolis. That's one thing that sticks out of my mind. I really want to get into there. I need to – there's some few things I need to wrap up to go in there. But it's a very diverse economically. And I remember when I was there, a lot of people talk about 2008 um, during the, the so-called crash. Yep. But Indianapolis was still busy. The malls were busy. The restaurants were busy because they made a conscious decision, uh, which was very radical in the Midwest, in the Rust Belt, was that they were going to invest into industries outside of the automotive industry in the 90s. At that time, the 90s was booming. You remember the big SUVs and cheap fuel? Uh, I remember getting gas like for 80 cents a gallon, right? It was yeah. a different time. And, you know, So, but 2008 was not much in Indianapolis. In fact, a lot of parts of Indiana, where I'm from actually, I didn't mention this, but from Fort Wayne, Indiana, Um, property prices didn't go down too much they went down a little bit but nothing to the levels that you would see like in vegas or these other uh, areas out there in the u.s so it had some insulation to all that and i think that's where i want to go to uh to where i want to invest in the future just speaking on just from a foreign perspective coming to ontario i was amazed on how different the the housing rules and the rental rules are here in ontario compared to where i came from the midwest so that was interesting as well and That's also another reason why, too, if there's any investor that's here that's at a point of saying, you know what, I'm not grading good cash flow in Ontario, look into the U.S. and look at those landlord-friendly states. I think anyone can be blown away how hospitable those governments are. are.
0: Yeah, and we should define, too, what a landlord-friendly state is. At least the way I look at it, it's, it's, it's states that have, if there's a judgment, the judgment is most likely, or basically it's all written, to go in the favor of the landlord and they're usually contract states meaning that the the rental agreement is looked at like a contract and yes. by you not paying your rent it's breaking a contract so that you are you can go after them for the contract thing you have a contract to pay this much did you pay that much no yeah. well then you're in violation of a contract
1: <laughs> yeah no exactly right there, there is something there is a lot of value put upon that contract more than the value for that piece of paper. Yeah. And that's, that's the biggest thing there. And you know, you sign a, a lease and let's say you, you bug out, it'll come for you. And there's a threat of garnishing your wages. You go, even you go to another state and you're obligated to pay that full amount for let's say it's a 12 month lease. You have to pay that full amount. And that's something that is looked upon uh, very strongly down there. I remember this, when I went to Pretty University in, in West Lafayette, when we signed that twelve month lease, we we had to owe that that twelve months, regardless if we lived there, we moved out, and it was part of our credit our credit check. And that, that would follow you around. Right now what we are focusing a lot is on B B level properties. As you're as listeners may know, there's the Ace, the you know, B C D uh, levels of properties. But right now we're doing B levels. It doesn't mean that we'll we won't look at other levels like C level properties down the road. That's a good base for us. And we look at a few things. Again, like I mentioned to you, it's, it's property prices in those areas, the macroeconomics of those cities. I mean, you know, I mentioned a few states, but I like to mention cities more. Like there's, you know, Indianapolis, Indiana, Columbus, Ohio, Memphis, uh, Tennessee. You've got Little Rock, Arkansas. You've got, you know, Huntsville, Alabama, even Birmingham, Alabama. You've got Kansas City, Missouri. I can go on and on. And those – Atlanta, Georgia – yeah. Um, Jacksonville. There's, yeah. There's lots yeah. of places. Yeah. Jacksonville Jacksonville's another great place. Mm-hmm. And um, so I look at those value propositions. I look at what are, what are the market rates for those areas and are, is it indeed a B level property? Because you may just don't look at a B level property just at the price. You really have to look at the neighborhood and you've got to do diligence, especially if you're out of state or out of country, you really have to look in there. But again, going to the point macroeconomics are big. What What are the big jobs there? Do yep. people have jobs? Those individuals that are going to be, your tenant that's going to live there, do they have a chance to having a job? Because let's say if you're um, buying a $100,000 property, uh, $1,000 rent's a 1% rule, you don't, what I would say to a Canadian investor or an Ontario investor, don't look at it from $1,000 here, $1,000 rent in in the Midwest and Southeast is a big chunk of rent. That's yep. a big amount. So you've got to have a good job. And so you gotta make sure do they have a supply of jobs in that area, so that's a key thing. Then it's also then what's your strategy of how you wanna uh, go about getting that property, right? Like do you wanna take a distressed property, put some active appreciation in there, and then then hold it or sell it, whatever it may be? Or do you wanna have a ready package like it's a turnkey? So yeah. If it's a turnkey, then you have to get a turnkey provider, but then you also have to understand you're gonna pay a turnkey price. And you also want to make sure that um, in that proposition, what kind of turnkey providers are you looking at? Do you want a full-service turnkey provider that has items at the front end and then also will support you in the back end, back end being like property management? Yep. Or do you want to sort of split that up and then get your own separate property management? That has to come down um, to your own preferences and
0: exactly. yeah.
1: skill set. Um, as I say to the listeners, I talk to other. I, I have some turnkey providers that are them based on – what their preferences are, because some people, as you know, investors, they're very keen at certain cities. Yep. Uh, like I, I meet mean, a lot of a lot of Canadians, and their their first asphyxiation is like Florida. Florida, yeah. want to buy Florida, right? Yeah. And, and my wife as well. Like I told her, like Florida is great. Like places like Jacksonville are great, but I'm not buying a rental property in Miami as a simple buy and hold. I'll vacation there, but I won't I won't uh, go there for as an investor yeah a whole, so those are those are some key things there that i I like to look at
0: yeah you you mentioned the the b class neighborhoods c class neighborhoods in all honesty, a lot of the properties I was buying off the start were c class and it does yeah. have its like just if we're going to sort of rip down in sort of the, the the differences and the benefits of both the c class tends to have higher cash flow you'll get above the one percent rule, yeah. but you're in uh, sketchier neighborhoods, so you're yeah. you're not going to have the the same appreciation, even right there, it might be in a lot of times we don't have the same thing in Canada because our schools are the same for if pretty much if you want to live in the worst neighborhood or the best neighborhood, and, and our neighborhoods aren't that bad, the worst right. neighborhood isn't that bad, but <clears throat> that's a big dictator in the states, and people, renters especially, because they can move around, are gonna want to live in in the school good school districts and the, the, the yeah. neighborhoods that appreciate the best and the teachers are going to want to work at the best schools and, it, and it's going to be around the a's and b's is where that's going to be so you're, yeah. you you will have a different level of tenant at c but there's different cash flow but it's also a different way to diversify you could yes. buy both types of property and get the, the, the cash flow from one and the appreciation from the other right
1: yeah oh i definitely agree i mean Part of my roots, as I mentioned to you, being a, a Punjabi immigrant, uh, my parents coming from Punjab, and that's in India, anyone that doesn't know that, coming to the US, we 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 started in a C-level neighborhood, and that's where I grew up, and so I'm very uh, familiar with that and, and the attributes of that neighborhood, um, but I also, as my parents, then we moved, we went to a B-level, and my parents tried the attempt of trying to rent that C, uh, C property, that original property. Now. The things they did back then, they were—I I, want to say—a lot more amateur. I mean, there was less knowledge back in those times. But I saw some of the pitfalls there. That so, and why do I bring that up, Glenn? Is that I think C levels work. You just have to have a really good system and process of how to get your your tenants are there, yep. right? Um, but you know, for us right now, we're looking at B levels only because we know that um, we feel that there's a little bit more consistency when it comes to our rental income. We know we'll get a rent check every every month. Yeah. But you know, you really need to. You do need to sprinkle a little bit and, and have um, some opportunity. For example, you could take a distressed C property, put some active appreciation, get go a good quality tenant, and you can make some good returns there. So there are definitely opportunities, and there's a lot of opportunities in those areas. And also, too, um, you know, it's all it's always at the end of the day, it's your risk appetite, right? It's for any investor. You know, for a lot of listeners here, especially if there's a lot of listeners from Ontario is again, I, I try to really big strive and in my conversations as well, strategy, your portfolio strategy. And so when I, for example, I say U.S. investing, I'm not trying to say do all your future 100% of all your investment transactions in the U.S., but try to look at that as an opportunity for uh, putting that in there from your income flow. And I think one other thing that I would want to mention, I alluded to a little bit about wealth destruction when it comes to taxes, is that when it comes to to taxes, even if it's in the U.S. and Canada, a lot of people don't realize that ninety percent of the tax code is designed to for you to legally, and I say that again, legally prevent yourself to pay taxes. And real estate's a great vehicle for that, And especially in the U.S. There's a lot of great things going on with the latest tax reform from a from a tax perspective, and so for investors, they really need to look at that and add that diversity into their market. And as you would know, Glenn, um, as your podcast has. Has been created just to invest in the U.S. There is a lot of foreign activity, like in Europe and to Australia and Asia, that wants to invest in the U.S. And there's there's some there's some main reasons there. So I think as Canadians, they need to they're in a very good privileged position, especially the ones in Southern Ontario to use that equity and invest in the U.S. They'll find it's not as as hard as they may think it may be. So that's what I will leave it as.
0: So. That's great. That's great information. Paul, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, what are the what's the best way to track you down?
1: Um, I have an email I can maybe give it to you, Glenn, and you sure. can post it. Sure. Uh, and uh, we'll from there. But uh, yeah, it's real estate freedom, so that's so we'll I'll get that information out to you.
0: So. Appreciate it. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Paul. That was uh, that was great.
1: Yeah, th- thank you for having me, Glenn. Appreciate All right,
0: it. thanks.